start. Hello, everyone. You're listening to a podcast between David Heyman, a professor of epidemiology in the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and me, Sui Ken Kaur, a senior visiting fellow in the United Nations University International Institute for Global Health. We're discussing our article that came out in Foreign Affairs about the Asian response to the pandemic of 2020. Maybe we'll begin with you, David. What are your reflections about the Asian response to uh, the pandemic of 2020 in relation to SARS and MERS? Well, you know, Sui Kang, um, these countries in Asia have really prepared well after having experienced an outbreak either of SARS or MERS during the past 20 years. They've increased their hospital bed capacity. They've increased their public health alert and their response mechanisms. And they've done uh, what I would call an epidemiological approach to containing the outbreaks that are occurring. And they began very soon. They began very rapidly in January to start containing outbreaks. And they've continued to do that since while keeping the level of transmission at a very low level. So back to you, Sui Kang. Um, what are your thoughts about the features of this Asian response? There have been a few features, David, um, some of which uh, were highlighted in our article. Um, the first one is uh, this, this amazing investment uh, in systems um, that was done in a very strategic way uh, with a lot of forward planning and a lot of integration, both vertical and horizontal, between various government agencies, between the government and the private sector. Uh, as a small case in point, uh, Vietnam increased their um, public health budget on a per capita basis 9% year on year, every year since 2003. And that's uh, one important uh, feature about um, how Asian countries were able to respond very, very decisively. On a second level, um, I think some Asian countries um, suffered a lot of uh, warranted criticism during the 2003 pandemic for SARS uh, because they were uh, less than transparent and they were less than coordinated and less than decisive as well. And this gave them um, a lot of impetus to coordinate better and to become more decisive because they could operate a very um, more cohesive command and control structure. In a more specific instance, uh, it would be the case of China that uh, really clarified the roles and responsibilities between the federal government, provincial government, and municipal governments. And this uh, clear command and, command and control structures, as well as uh, the decision makings during a confusing and chaotic pandemic, really bore fruit in the pandemic of 2020. And those are just two examples, David, of uh, how Asian countries uh, responded in the last several years building an infrastructure patiently over the last 17 years as well. But it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts, David, about how um, the Asian countries, the responses of Asian countries are perhaps uh, viewed or perceived and compared uh, to other parts of the world. Uh, what do you think about this, David? Well, you know, Kiswang, I'm seeing this from a very privileged position because I chair a group at the World Health Organization, which is the advisory group on infectious hazards. And we're playing a, a role in the response by helping the secretariat answer difficult questions. We meet twice a week virtually for an hour and a half. And during that hour and a half, we go back and forth with issues that are important to WHO. Presently, the issue, of course, is getting international travel started and up and running. But looking at the Asian response from that vantage point, it's clear that Asia has done what most countries should have done and many didn't do. 
And that is they've used an epidemiological approach, as I said earlier. What they've done is they've looked for where outbreaks are occurring. They've tried to understand how those outbreaks have occurred and where transmission has been occurring. And they shut that down for a time. And then they open it up again after they've rectified the situation, unlike many other countries, which have just had a blunt shutdown of their economies. Asian communities also are able to um, have a solidarity in the response and are actually participating in contact tracing, making sure that contacts are identified, self-isolate and prevent further transmission into the community. At the same time, Asian countries are using best practices to make sure that they're treating and managing patients the way they need to be managed. And they've had a remarkably low uh, mortality rate because of that. So in general, Asian countries are really showing the rest of the world how an outbreak response can be done in a way that's sustainable in the long term. So let me ask you, Sui Kang, having talked about the Asian response, what do you think the next steps will be for Asia? And that's a pretty good note to end, David. Uh, I think that there are two things that uh, Asian countries can do more. The first one is local. The second one is foreign. Locally, domestically, sustainable health system strengthening, changing the political economy of health, and uh, moving towards universal health coverage for all residents, including migrants and refugees, will be an important next domestic step for Asian countries. But foreign and um, casting your eyes uh, beyond uh, the uh, national borders will be to cast aside uh, vaccine sovereignty or vaccine nationalism and things like that and moving towards regional collaboration, even global collaboration for the assurance of global public goods and global health security. So there are things that needs to be done um, for Asian countries within the national borders also um, um, in, in foreign terms. 